You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Kim Grenolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. It is game week, week two, after the big win over Kent State with Portland State coming up with an afternoon kickoff. Scott Eklund is giddy at a one o'clock kickoff. Uh, we talked a little bit to Coach Huff to, uh, yesterday about the one o'clock kickoff, and he says, I said, you know, it's going to be 88 degrees. He goes, I don't care if it's 128. I love the day games. So I think we're all pretty much in agreement. But we had a chance on Monday to talk to Coach DeBoer and the two coordinators players on Tuesday and assistant coaches on Wednesday. But, uh, you know, I think the thing that's probably most important and front and center is having a chance to talk to Coach DeBoer on Monday and uh, his comments on uh, Jordan Perryman, who it looks like he may have had a hamstring issue the way he went down and what he was holding and everything. But uh, what was he – I'm trying to recall exactly what he said. You probably have a better idea. He didn't mention anything specifically other than a leg injury. No, uh, William Inge said it called it an upper leg injury. And I've heard some rumors that it has to do with like a hip flexor or something (coughs) like that. But that's that's just rumors. I don't know. But they both basically said that he's day-to-day and that there's – I would bet that if he's healthy, he'll play on Saturday. But if he's even remotely um, po- a possible scratch, then they'll scratch him and let him rest up so that he's ready to go for Michigan State. Yeah, and then you know replacing him was a guy that we um, have never seen play corner. Oh, he was recruited as a safety. We've always seen him at safety, and that was Julius Irvin moved over that corner, and he seemed to do an okay job over there. Yeah, but guess what? <laughs> the guy who's coaching him right now, Julius Brown, yeah, offered him as a corner at Utah State. So, in fact, Julius thinks he, now he's not sure about this 100%. We'd have to go back and look, but he thinks he might be he might have been Julius's first offer out of high school. So, hey, sometimes it's just uh serendipity. Sometimes these things happen for a reason, well, the timing of it and everything else. The thing about Julius is he did play corner in high school. So he has the ability to do it. His dad was one of the great corners of the what eighties. I thought early he was a 90s, safety. Whatever. I thought he was a corner, but maybe I'm wrong. Hey, but um, you know, he he has the ability to do it. But he also noted that you know it's just I have to look at some different things. So, but the coaches said on Monday, uh, Coach DeBoer, Coach Inge, both said that we had some issues with some injuries and we wanted to move some guys over. We were a little thin there and he was a guy who made himself available to us and he showed he could get it done. Yeah. And this was even just to make sure people understand the timeline. This was done before the Kent state game. Obviously this was done before a guy like Jordan Perryman got hurt. This we're talking about guys like who would have been like uh, uh, Elijah Jackson, EJ Jackson, 
um, Devon Banks, some of these guys, I think they were just dealing with some nicks and dings throughout throughout camp entirely. And I just think Julius Brown saw what, what Irvin could do, and the, the safety position's pretty loaded right now. You look at a guy like Mikel Esteen, Comes in a couple couple plays into his basically. He I, said I it was the only play. Yeah, Inge said that was the only play he played. I think he ended up. Well, I think Pro Football Focus had him playing four plays or something like that. But either way, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. But the point is, is that it's the first monumental time for Mikel Esteen to come in, and, and he he's and he's a backup safety. I mean, this is a this is a, a a position that's pretty loaded right now. When you look at Asa Turner, Alex Cook, you look at Cameron Williams. And, and now Mikel Esteen's making a move, and, and you've got other guys uh, trying to make moves. And too. we you saw can... Vince Nunley a lot yep. in fall camp, and yep. he was playing really well. Yeah, and then he's Zachary Spears. I don't know if he's still at corner or safety. He's but corner. Yeah. yeah. You, got, you covered uh, Julius Irvin when he was being recruited, and he was a pretty big-time recruit at the time. He absolutely was. He had offers from more than half of the Pac-12. I think USC and UCLA Alabama. both offered him. Alabama offered him. Notre Dame, that was one. I mean, his class was Asa Turner. Kyler Gordon, Julius Irvin, and I think there was one other guy. And it might have been um, – um, I can't remember who the other one was. But, uh, it, you know, there there were some big-time recruits in that class. Again, we had, a chan- we had a chance to talk to the coordinators on and Coach DeBoer on uh, Monday. But when you take a look at Coach Inge, you know, and if you were to, you know, put the – um, coaches in order of personality, you know, big to quiet. I think Coach Inge would be on one side, and it sure seems like Ryan Grubb would be on the exact opposite. He's just kind of a he, – He's a no-nonsense guy. No-nonsense. Um, you know, he talks, but is a, he's pretty much flatlined when it comes to emotion. I don't think I've ever seen him fired up, but, uh, you know, he's kind of a quiet dude. I think when you look at the guys that are known for being – I don't know if savant's the right word. I mean, we've heard, you know, the players talk about Grubb being a wizard or, a, a, you know, and whatever they want to talk about him as, the, the, the characterizations. You look at guys like even going back to like Norm Chow or you go back to Pete Kwiatkowski on the defensive side of the ball, all these guys that are kind of up in the up in the booths just kind of orchestrating things, just kind of that's the mm-hmm. way they operate. And I think part of the reason they're so good is that be, because they can, they can deal with it on the field during practices. They can really script it out. They can do the X's and O's and all that. But when it comes to game time, they can really kind of separate the emotion out of it and really just focus on the kind of the chess game going on within the football game. And I think that's what makes them so elite. Yeah, well, you know, Coach uh, DeBoer talked about, you know, Grubb wanting to be up in the booth, you know, without all the emotions flying around. And, you know, a couple of guys described him as a wizard. I think he's a little bit more of a mad scientist than but, a wizard. But the funny thing about it is you – and you mentioned Inge being on the opposite side of yeah. that. The defensive guys for this particular staff, they're all, they all seem to be wired in a similar mode. I don't know if Coach Inoka is, is maybe that way. He, he might be a little bit more reserved. reserved in that way. But you look at Schmidt, you look at Inge – you look at Morrell, you look at Juice Brown, these guys are wired to be on that sideline and be in the chaos. They want to be right in the middle of it, kind of directing all the things that are going on oh, yeah. because that's that's where they thrive. Coach Inge and Coach Shepard, like I, you know, I've commented on this a couple of different times, getting guys fired up. I've never seen a wide receiver coach slap a defensive lineman upside the head to get him motivated. And it just seems like Inge and Shepard, when it comes to being fiery and being bombastic and out there, you know, Inge and uh, Shepard are just kind of like, you know, 
like yep. Siamese twins, you know, or playing, you know, just right off of each yeah, other. Yeah, I they're different the way they do things. It's um it's just different. Uh but yeah, I mean they they both are very emotional coaches, but um Inge seems more centered yeah, to me. Yeah. Whereas Coach Shepard is all over the place. By the way, and I think in, 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 and he and he does that for a reason. I mean, he has a very specific idea of why he's doing what he's doing, but he is he he wants to basically put his energy on the entire football field. When, when I when I talked to Coach Inge, I've talked to him several times now, and when he came up on Monday, I I see more of a scholarly guy. Yeah, the way he talks, the his the way the way things. You know, he, the the way he verbalizes carries, the way he things carries yeah, himself. and carries himself. He's not a bombastic guy. Well, I'm, I'm seeing a different. What, what, I'm seeing a different side okay. of him. Okay, well, yeah, I have not seen that at all. I mean, I I know he can get fired up when they're in the midst of things, but when it's talking to the media and all that stuff, he's he's jovial. He's a he's a guy, but he just seems more cerebral and academic to me. Yeah. But, yet, but yet he's talked openly about the the competition between him and Shepard. Uh-huh. And how they're so. I think what, and not to put words in your mouth, but I think the the reason why I think we like to com- compare them is because those guys are the two guys on either side of the ball, as far as coaches that openly try to bring the energy, yeah. but they do it in very different ways. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, and I'm seeing Inch going up. And I mean, he's talking to players, and you know, just you know, I'm down on the sidelines, and then also, you know, I'm down on the sidelines during practice too, and just hearing the things that he says to guys, and just the comments, and taking FaceTime calls from recruits, and just cracking up, and laughing, and just, you know, getting involved with Coach Shepard, so, you know, I I think those are the two most outgoing gregarious guys, and, uh, you know, then, like I said, you know, Coach DeBoer, he just seems like the same guy all the time, he doesn't change, does he? No. No, DeBoer is just, he is who he is. We talked about it last week. Um, I didn't see him today, uh, you know, when we were when we were talking to people. But, you know, he just, he'll walk off the field and he'll go, hey, how you doing, man? One thing I noticed, though, from the press box is that on that fourth down play where it looked like he was trying to call it off mm-hmm. and then they ran it, right after that, and you can't really tell the emotions and how they emote literally mm-hmm. unless you've got your binoculars just dialed in right on them. What I did notice on the TV copy afterwards when I watched it, I've never seen him get so fired up in my life. Mm-hmm. And I don't know who he was talking. I don't know if he was screaming at, at Penix. I don't know if he was screaming at the refs. Because it, it was just him just, just screaming it like the void. Because you couldn't tell who it was to, to somebody on the field. Mm-hmm. Could have been a running back. Could have been a receiver. Could have been a lineman. I don't know who it was to. But he, he was absolutely fired up. And that's, that's about as much emotion as I've seen out of him. I think personally, if, if I had to figure it out, I think it's two of the refs because I think he was still fired up about that spot. Yeah. On Tuesday, we had a chance to talk to players, and I started off the day talking to Mateo uh, Mele, and um, I thought it was interesting that, um, you know, when he came in in the second quarter, um, you know, I asked him if that was pre-planned or if that was, uh, you know, just some circumstances that they wanted him in there. And, he uh, he said no. That was planned before the game. That Coach Huff let him know a couple of days, you know, before the game that he would be going in. Um, you know, he went in, and what was interesting is, you know, Chris, you talked talk to me this morning that um, when you take a look at what Luciano did, and then. Um, uh, melee, and then also Garrett and Hatchett played 14 plays. Garrett and Hatchett was the guy who 
graded out the highest. Well, as far as pro football focus, I yeah. don't know how UW graded. I don't well, know how I, Huff graded him. Well, just moving ahead a little bit, I asked Coach Huff if he graded him the same way. I said, before you roll your eyes and I tell you this, because you're wearing sunglasses, I can't see you. And when I told him how they graded out and asked him if he graded them out the same, he said no. Um, he said Garen had some snap issues, you know, which he did have a couple low snaps. Yeah, and that's not going to be graded on fo- Pro Football Focus, but that's definitely something that he mentioned. Okay, well, I don't know how. I, I don't know what specifically they grade for Football Focus. I mean, they they talk about their their methodology, mm-hmm. um, but you know, Pro Football Focus didn't have a lot of variation between Mele and Luciano. They didn't really show that much, and I'm totally. I I want to take the coaches at their word, saying that that this was going to happen for a very specific reason. It was and it was because Mele had earned the right, as opposed to maybe they had questions about Luciano. But in the back of my mind, I've, I I feel conflicted because I wonder if they weren't one hundred percent sold that Luciano was going to get the job done, and then they saw early on that he was either having anchoring problems or going up against that that nose for Kent State. He was maybe having some issues, and they just decided to, to roll with Mateo, not just because they said they were going to give him some snaps, but maybe they played him a little earlier than maybe they thought they were going to. Luciano's still listed as the number one center on the depth chart. Uh, it'll be interesting. What are you anticipating at center this week? Luciano, Melee, Hatchet. Okay. I think you'll you'll see uh, Melee come in to sub for Luciano at times, and I think Garen Hatchett will get most of the snaps with the uh, when the second and third team come in. Yeah, it was interesting. Also, you know, I had a chance to talk to um, Julius Irvin, and you know, everybody was asking him about his dad, and I could just kind of tell he's getting tired of talking about his dad. You know, but his dad was such a good football player. But I asked him about you know the you know uh, if he was just filling in at corner or if he was moved to corner. And he said, no, he moved there a couple weeks ago. Um, he said it was kind of a joint thing, you know, with um, them being kind of short at corner and loaded at safety that he might be able to see the, the field faster. I asked him if the um, uh, if there was a separate safety room and corners room or if they were the same. And he said, no, we have a corners room and a safety room. And I asked him which room he was in, and he didn't hesitate in saying, no, I'm in the corner room, and it looks like a change that's going to be there to stay. And we'll see yeah. how much he plays, you know, with uh, Jordan Perryman. But against Portland State, if they're able to keep Jordan Perryman out, and as well as Lee, Lee, right, as well as Julius Irvin played, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing that this week. Mm-hmm. Well, I just bottom line is is that the guys that are behind Perryman and Mish Powell are younger guys. Whether you're talking about Devon Banks, whether you're talking about a guy like Dyson McCutcheon. Um, and then you're going all the way to Javion Green, the the freshman, true freshman from Houston. Um, you know they're young guys. Uh, Zakari Spears, another guy. So they're they're a situation where they can use an infusion of of veteran leadership, regardless of what the injury situation may be. I think the injury situation simply compounded another issue that that Juice Brown saw in that room, where they were light on numbers, they didn't necessarily have healthy guys rolling through, and they wanted to bring in a guy that could immediately help them that wasn't necessarily getting the time uh, that he should at safety. And it's not because he's not talented. It's just because that's a loaded room where guys are just, 
they're just a shade above him and playing just a little bit better. And when you look at guys that, you know, maybe that you could move positions, you know, I always thought, you know, because Dominic Hampton came in here as a corner, played mm -hmm. corner that first year, but, you know, he's bulked up. Could you still see uh, Dominic Hampton moving over there and playing in a little corner? Probably not. No, he's more of a husky or a safety. That's what he's probably going to be. Yeah. And the only reason I think I, I say safety is because if they ran low on numbers or something like that, he might be a guy they pull over. But he and he and Cam uh, Fab, you know, those are the two guys that are playing Husky, and I don't see that changing. Yeah, the other interesting thing, you know, to touch bases on um, Asa Turner, um, when he was being recruited, it came down to he was committed to Washington, and then he took his visit to Notre Dame. And uh, I was talking to him about, you know, Julius going over and playing corner and Dom moving to Husky and, you know, just when he was being recruited by Notre Dame, Notre Dame wanted him as a linebacker. Washington wanted him as a safety. And I asked him, you know, first of all, you worried about get, gaining weight, you know, and getting moved up to linebacker. Um, and, you know, if that was the ultimate decision when he was being recruited was Washington wanted him at safety. And he said he played in one of the All-American Bowls and he played in linebacker in the All-American Bowl. And he hated it. Hated it. <laughs> He committed back to Washington after he well, played. Well, no, that. he said he also said that uh, I went to the Poly Bowl, yeah. played safety, and I got a pick. Yeah, and that was what showed me that I needed to play safety. Yeah, but he's got the body type because what is he six three? Yeah, he somewhere in there. Well, in this particular defense, he he, I think he'd be very well, very good as a safety mm -hmm. or as, as a as a husky well, or not just the husky, but yeah. the, but also where. Um, well, no, you said Will. Will mm -hmm. Will could work. But I mean, ultimately, he he played safety in the previous he's defense got the, as well. So he's got the body type where he could he could add twenty pounds in a heartbeat. But it, I don't. See, I, mean, I just I kind of disagree with Scott because yeah. I think he honestly could play anywhere on the defensive the secondary. I yeah. think he can play anywhere. I think I know now, having spoken with Coach Brown this week, he says Devon Banks is the is the fastest guy that they have. That may be true, but when you look at Dominique Hampton and. and what is he? Probably forty pounds heavier than Banks. Mm -hmm. he, he, he's not going to be that far behind. He he is a supreme athlete. Supreme Who, athlete. Who'd you get a chance to talk to on Tuesday? Um, well, I mean, I I mean, Asa Turner was the one that that uh, I you know I posted on and same you, with you mentioned Irvin. Yeah, asking about how many times he asked about his father. How many times does Asa ask? Oh about my him? gosh, at least four <laughs> questions because and. It's understandable. The reporters are trying to interview different guys, and so they weren't there. But the first question was, we heard you were living in the offices. How long do you spend there? And he, go, he goes on this long answer. And then you continue on with the answer. And then the next guy comes up and says, so, yeah, we heard that you might be living at the office. And then you're just like, oh, my gosh, okay. So, four and then, times. Yeah, it, four times that happened. And sometimes so, the TV guys ask the, oh, the, the basic questions yeah, because they, cause they need a, they need a, a soundbite. Yeah, well, we've, all, we've all been that fourth guy yeah, at some I, oh, point no, along I, the way. I'm not blaming anybody, but it was just like, oh, my gosh. Not okay. again. Not so, again. But um, anyway, but Asa talked about addressed. Uh, he addressed it after the, the game um, that – why he went with Asa instead of Turner on his back, but it was also asked on on Tuesday when right. he met with the public or met with the press, and he basically just said, "My parents got divorced when I was in seventh grade. When I was in eighth grade, I basically stopped talking to my dad and that entire side of the family. Obviously, there's some issues there, and he said, and I haven't talked to him since. 
Um, I don't want the last name Turner out there representing me. Asa is what I decided to go with. Once I change my last name, then I'll put a different last name on there. But right now, I haven't changed it, so it's going to be Asa. Who did you have a chance to talk to on Tuesday, Chris? Jeez, who do I so trying to think. I'm trying, no, 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 I'm seriously, I'm trying to remember. I um, spoke with Taj Davis, who was great. Taj was really good about, you know, just kind of the things that he felt he had done well in terms of improving and evolving in this in this scheme that they want to run offensively. You know, he talked about just getting more aggressive and how Shepard has really kind of instilled in him that he just needs to be attacking more, attack, attack. And I think one of the things that we saw during fall camp, guys, that we probably remarked on was how he was really going up and getting the ball. And he was really those yep. 50-50 balls and some of those – maybe contested passes. And he was getting open a lot, too. Yeah, and he yeah. was getting open. And so, and he talked about it. He goes, you know, we didn't necessarily see a lot of real press or, or tight man against Kent State. So we really haven't – I have not been able to kind of unleash some of these releases that, that Coach Shepard has taught him. But they certainly expect more of that this weekend. Yeah. They expect more press coverage against Portland, uh, Portland State. So that, that, that will probably be something that he'll talk about. And, we, and I also talked to Jalen McMillan. Um, a little bit as well, and he was talking about some of the guys he loves to go up against. He's the guy, him and Hampton, because in the slot with the Husky, he said he loves going up against Dom in, in, in practices. He did, knows he relishes that. Did you get the running backs too? No, I didn't talk to Wayne. Okay. I didn't talk to Wayne. No. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Um, had a chance uh, on Wednesday to talk to the coaches. Uh, I had a chance to talk to uh, Lee Marks. And, you know, I always say, you know, if you're just reading the quotes, we're not giving you all the quotes. We're, you know, highlighting some of the quotes. But, you know, if you listen to Lee Marks talk about, um, you know, how special Washington is, and he's talking about how he's down in L.A. and, you know, just going down the mall and just going to go grab a bite and just kind of, you know, being himself and removing himself from football and, you know, he's got on his Washington gear and just hearing, you know, go Huskies and just, you know, how it took him out of that mode and put him back into, you know, football mode and just how special that was. Um, you know, I also asked him, I said, you know, in your playing days, did you ever have a hole as big 
as Wayne Talapapa had on his first touchdown. Yeah. You know, and uh, we went into coach with Coach Huff, and it's kind of funny to listen to about, you know, because uh, uh, Lee said that, you know, even any of the coaches could score. And so I asked Coach Huff about, you know, who would score and who'd fall down, asked him if he could score, and it was kind of funny. And, you know, he, he said Jamarcus would fall on the way in. He goes, Lee, Lee Marks would definitely score because he's a running back. But kind of mm-hmm. interesting to look, listen to that conversation. But I thought that the most interesting thing was when um, we talked, I asked him about uh, Javion not being in the mix, and I think I kind of got him off guard because that's what – you know, um, Coach Grubb had said, he said, you know, he wasn't in the mix. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, when we know a guy, we just don't suit guys to suit guys, and we just knew he wasn't going to play. Well, he, he had the same reaction about Sunday that he had a little bit earlier when someone asked him, I forgot who it was, but they asked him about Richard Newton. And he'd be like, yeah, I'd love to see Richard when he's healthy, but he hasn't done anything. He literally hasn't done anything. Well, he so. mentioned how he'd heard that Richard was a physical back, you know, yeah. and they're hoping to get him back soon, so... Um, so that was interesting. And also had a chance to, you know, talk to, uh, you know, Coach Huff, and he talked about, you know, switching in um, Mateo uh, Mele uh, for Corey Luciano. And we, you know, again, you know, we talked about, you know, the pro football focus grades, and he said that Corey, you know, had some, uh, not Corey, but uh, Garen Hatchett had some uh, issues snapping the ball. Um, and then uh, he was really pleased with Roger Rosengard out at right tackle yeah. as well. Well, when, when when we found out that Roger went, like, so Monday they gave out those awards, weekly awards, and he basically got the, the power, Lineman, power the, and skill or yeah, something like that. Yeah, Yeah, offensive, like, power award or something. When I started breaking down his film on Monday, just looked like watching the game highlights, but him specifically, identifying him, I don't know if I saw... A breakdown. One bust. Yeah. And whether it was whether it was um, pass blocking, whether it was run blocking. Now they didn't run they didn't run a ton to his side. And when they did, like at the goal line, for instance, they were running their version, I think, of God's play with their little power mm-hmm. counter. When they had Kalepo coming around, I don't know if you guys noticed that, but on that touchdown, I think it was Cameron Davis. Yeah. When he scored that touchdown, and Kalepo came around on the on the power on the counter, mm-hmm. <laughs> Roma Dunze was right there too, to the point where. And I think this is where um, I think it was either Grubb or Coach DeBoer when when he was asked about Kalepo said that you know even when he's not necessarily getting his hands on guys he's his size alone he's creating lanes and that's exactly what he did on that one because he didn't even t- I don't even think he touched a guy in the end zone but yet Cameron Davis scored easily mm-hmm. so it, it just was it was nice to see. The offensive line kind of imposed themselves, but Roger Rosengarten especially, I don't think he could have gotten off to a better uh, debut than what he had. I was going to say on the boards, and I know this would just people would have gone absolutely ballistic, but to me it reminded me of a similar situation as a redshirt freshman. So add context, as a red redshirt freshman, first time as a starter, it kind of reminded me a little bit of Jackson Kirkland. I just think that. If he continues to play on that trajectory, because remember, Jackson Kirkland's first start was what? Auburn. Auburn in, in, in Atlanta. Chick-fil-A. So it wasn't exactly Kent State at Husky Stadium, right, for Rogers. So, yes, I understand that the, the, the context is much but different. But he was also playing guard. And I think he and probably. And not out on an island. Right, but I also think that Roger probably even had a better debut, obviously, because mm-hmm. he wasn't going up against those three interior guys those from guys Auburn. Were freaks. Yeah. You had a chance to talk to Coach Schmidt. You know, no, not no. I thought you talked Sheridan. To, oh, Sheridan. You know, talk a little bit about Coach Sheridan. 
Yeah, uh, you know, he, he talked about uh, his guys and how they how they graded out. He said there was good and bad, just like every week. He goes, even when we – he was basically saying, even when we win 50 to nothing, there's going to be stuff that we're not going to like about what they did. But he goes, that there was good and bad, but these guys just keep working. And I asked him about Quentin Moore, and he said Quentin Moore – just continues to earn the trust of the coaches and the players around him. And he's going to see more time. And, and he goes, it's really nice to have the three guys that we have so we can rotate them through and, and not feel like there's any drop off. Uh, I didn't ask him specifically about Devin Culp's, you know, drop on that one um, or anything like that. But he, he just said, you know, we're going to keep giving these guys opportunities to make plays. And I think as they get more experience um, in the offense, they're going to make more plays for us. And, what we're looking for. I'm curious as whether or not you guys thought that the tight end was used more or less than what you thought it was going to be on Saturday. I Well, considering what we saw in fall camp and even at, toward the end of spring ball, they were using the tight ends quite a bit. Yeah. Now, they're, they're flexing them out a little bit. Because remember, I remember uh, being up there, and I for some reason I thought Jack Westover was one of the walk-on wide receivers that, was out, that had split out. And you're like, no, that's number 37. Uh-huh. But – they're splitting them out more, but we didn't see that a ton. And, and but we did see them play on the end of the line and then go out for passes. And that's what we're seeing now is they're being used in the passing game a lot more than maybe we thought they were going to. But if you watch practice, like we got the chance to do, they did use the tight ends quite a bit. Yeah, when you talk about using the tight ends, you know, I think everybody just looks at using the tight ends as you know how many times you're throwing them the ball. You know, using uh, the wide, the tight ends as receivers, but I think the tight ends were, you know, involved quite a bit, you know, in different aspects of the game more so than just throwing the ball. But, you know, this is Kent State, and you know, when I asked Michael Penix about how much they really showed, and he says they still got a little something in the bag, well, so I don't think they're showing everything. Yeah, I thought it was interesting because I really thought that their base would be a little bit more of kind of that. 11 personnel with the three wide receivers, mm-hmm. kind of how they're lined up in their official depth chart. You know, you got the one running back, you got the one, one tied end, you kind of go. But I saw a lot of 22 12, personnel. Yeah. I saw a lot of 10 personnel with when they went five wide, um, and they used one of the tight ends as their as their wide guys, as you, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. with, with guys like Jack uh, splitting out and whatnot. I saw a lot more of that too. But it was funny because on Monday, listening to Ryan Grubb ask, get asked a question about the tight ends, did you guys notice, was he a little salty about that? Did he kind of not so much take offense, but was kind of like, guys, I, I think you don't understand. The tight end's really important in our offense. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think a lot of – I think they think that fans just kind of treat it as an afterthought because they don't – like Kim said, they don't get the ball that much down the field. Fans base uh, tight end performance on, you know – Guys being Kellen Winslow, mm-hmm. and those guys or Tony Gonzalez. Yeah, yeah, those guys are few and far between. But um, just want to jump over to Coach Brown. Did he uh, address uh, issues in the secondary at all with um, depth and Julius and Perryman? Well, I mean, that was kind of the basis of why Julius Irvin moved over. And I asked him specifically. I said, obviously, you had moved Julius before Jordan Perryman even got banged up against Kent State. So clearly, was that based on other guys? Were you just dealing overall with some guys getting nicked and dinged up during camp? And he goes, "Yeah, it's football." He goes, "That's we had guys that weren't um, weren't, weren't doing great. You know, they're they're back now. They're getting back healthy, and that's good. But it was it almost served like a dual function, as we talked about at the beginning of this when it was Julius when we talked about Julius Irvin in the sense that he's a veteran guy that can add some leadership to a younger group over there." 
and at the same time start to help fill a depth need as well. So that, that was the main reason for it. But um, I was just kind of curious in general having to remake that room when you lose three starters, when you lose a Trent McDuffie, a Kyler Gordon, a, a, a Buki Radley-Hiles, you know, going in from the very, very first day, you go into your corners room or your Huskies room to Saturday night in the locker room. How much pride did you feel? How much satisfaction did you get seeing how far your group has come from that first time you met them, literally? And they found out that you were going to be the coach. And he goes, that's why we're here. That's why we do what, we're, what we do is for that feeling. And I, and I asked him, how do you keep that feeling going when you're playing a Portland State, especially with a group of guys that suffered a big sky loss last year? Maybe there's some residual stuff there, but at the same time you guys played so well on Saturday night. How do you kind of reconcile those things to make sure that they stay up and they stay focused instead of feeling like they've made it? And he goes, yeah, we, we really harp on them that, that every time we go out and play, we get 12 times. We get guaranteed 12 times. That's it. We may not get any more than that. So we don't have the opportunity to take a break. He goes, every player, or every team that we go up against is faceless. We, we treat it like that, and, and we, we, can't, we cannot slack. Absolutely cannot slack. So I think this staff understood. Uh, you talked about PTSD before this. It was, I think they understood that with the Montana game. I Even think though it wasn't them. It wasn't yet. them. Scott Huff, obviously, is the only holdover for that. But I think they understood that, and so I think there's extra emphasis on that kind of mentality this week. Coach Shepard doing Coach Shepard things, saying Coach Shepard things today again. Yeah, he I did. I don't know. I didn't talk to him. I did. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's basically just like where I preach not being soft, and he goes, the players were coming off during during the game and knew that they gave a soft effort. Freddie and soft. So, yeah, and so he said he said they they're they're saying I know it was soft, Coach. I'll I'll make it up and. And so that was a big thing. His other thing is just he want he he feels really good about uh, his guys and the way they played. But he, he said that was just the first step. We have so much further to go. I actually did some research on just, that. Just real quick, you know, we've seen in here. I want to get back on your message about soft. We've seen in here on the whiteboard they've had a thing called loafs where they track uh-huh. loafs from the players. My understanding, Coach Shep's got a board in his room for soft. Yeah, yeah, and that's what the player said. Yeah, that's why they said that's gonna, I'm going to be get marked up for a soft play. So. Yeah, Jalen McMillan talked about that on Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, it, I did some research on it to see if there was any other staffs out there that used that particular kind of mm-hmm. motivation, or not. Jim Harbaugh, mm-hmm. but Jim Harbaugh added an initial to Freddie Soft. He calls him Freddie P Soft. Yeah. <laughs> what does the P stand for, Chris? Yeah. Perfectly. You down with OPP? Yeah, we're going to have to get a whiteboard. What are we going to track on our whiteboard, Scott? Um, what can we track on our whiteboard? How many times Kim tells us a story Have that category? Um, for me, it would be how many times he complains about late games. <laughs> what would, me? No, how many times I, you complain about late that's games? That's what I just said. Oh, you said me. No, I said, and then for Chris, I don't know. How many times he wants to talk Mariners and soccer during a... We, we've got we've got him trained on the soccer stuff. He doesn't talk that much. I about literally have days, never right? talked about that once. <laughs> Anyways, wrap it up, Scott Eklund. Uh Good week. Uh, you know, we, we mentioned it before. It's just more fun. It, things seem more fun. They seem. I don't want to say lighthearted because they know that this is the season's going. So it's it's not lighthearted in that respect. But I think they're just like, hey, football's a game. 
We're supposed to have fun playing this game. And when you win like they did, when you play like they did, um, even though there was some issues maybe on the defensive side that, that are things that need to get fixed, it's fun. And the players have fun. The coaches are having fun. And I think, I think you're starting to see that come through. Chris? Yeah, I think just every week, you know, it's, it's more apparent in talking to the players, especially this week, that just how resilient college kids are. You forget about it. You know, when, when I'm, you know, I'm 30 years removed from that stuff, at least. And, and so you forget. But these guys, you know, win or lose, they always seem to bounce back. I remember it last year as well. But they always have come with a great attitude, and they come with a smile on their faces, and they're talking some stuff. And, and uh, I think it's good because I think they're, they're trying to emulate their coaches and the fact that their coaches are confident, they're prepared, but they also come at it with, with a great perspective. And I see that week after week, at least these first two weeks. And I expect that they're going to do really, really well against a Portland State team that took San Jose State to the wire. If anybody got a chance to see any of the highlights of that game, um, this quarterback, Chichere, he's, he's going to be a guy that's very much like the Kent State quarterback. I talked to, to Juice Brown about him, and he says the Kent State guy, I would call him slippery. I would just because he's a bigger guy. He just has a way of, of staying elusive. He goes, this guy can really get out. He can get away. And so they're going to have their hands full in another type of way. So I'm very curious, um, you know, how the defensive ends are going to do, for instance, and, and how they're going to clean up their containment. Because if they would have been able to get the Kent State quarterback down a couple more times, I think, as DeBoer mentioned, I think DeBoer mentioned that. He goes, you get him down a couple more times. Now all of a sudden the rushing changes, everything kind of changes there. And so I'm very excited to see all that goes. But just talking to the coaches and players this week, they seem focused. I, I don't expect a big sky hangover like this team Ugh. had last year. And that's the biggest thing, right? That's the biggest well, storyline for anybody that covered them last year as we did. That's the biggest storyline is how are they going to handle a big sky opponent who's going to come in here. They're going to roll the dice. They got nothing to lose. It's a free roll for them. How is this team going to respond? Uh, the thing is, the coaches have to know this, and I'm sure the, the coaches and players all know this, that you lose this weekend, all the goodwill that happened from the Kent State win, and the good it's work. all gone, and, and the, the good, good work, work. And, and all that stuff is gone. You cannot lose this game. You can't even really allow it to be close. It needs to be a win. I know the coaches will say, hey, I'll take a one-point win over a loss. Obviously, that's the case. But you do not want to go out – and, and win a 27-24 game against uh, Penn St- or, uh, Portland State. You want, to, you want a 40-25 game or 40-20 game. That's what you want. Yeah, just a quick shout-out to my buddy George. I uh, play golf with George quite a bit. He's a Portland State alum. He played defensive line uh, 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 down at Portland State. And he's, it's really hard for him because he was part of when they had a pretty good team and now they play their they don't play their home games in Portland anymore. They've moved them to Hillsboro, which is like forty five minutes to an hour away, and there's nobody goes to those games. Nobody. So uh, you know, it's kind of tough for the Portland State alums on those home games being moved to Hillsboro, and then in addition to, I mean, he knows what's coming this week. He knows it's not going to be a close game, but you know, he's also a big Oregon Ducks fan, and uh, you know, just oh, a, yeah, oh, too bad. Yeah, he, he used to, he had at one time an Oregon Ducks license plate frame, and somebody switched it out and put a Husky uh, license plate frame on there. 
uh, you know, I'm not Wait, somebody, huh? Yeah, Initials. somebody, somebody. Yeah, KG. No, nobody knows. Somebody plays golf with him. Nobody knows. No? Nobody knows who happens. So big shout out to George. Has been kind of a rough week. He knows. He knows what's coming. He knows what's coming. But uh, anyways, uh, you know, just uh, again, one o'clock start. Really nice. So instead of you know getting home at two o'clock in the morning, we're gonna get home, but sometime between seven and eight. And we'll also, have... real quick, Kim, just to make sure that people understand this, because I think. People have talked a little bit about it early this week on the message boards. It's Pac-12 Networks, but it's Pac-12 Washington. Washington. So it's going to so be. So you own. have to have the you have to have the package, whether you're with Sling or Fubo or or wherever you're getting your stuff, Comcast, whatever. You've got to make sure that you have all oh, the Pac-12. Nah, channels. just you know, there's plenty of tickets available. So the thing Come about the this, game. the Husky well, game is okay. Husky game is at one. Alabama, Texas is at nine. So. I get mean, a chance to watch some football. Yeah, get a chance to watch some really good football. Hey, and just a reminder, you know, we run promos, you know, for our new customers all the time. But, um, you know, the, the thing of it is, if you're waiting for a promo, it doesn't, a lot of the time it doesn't necessarily make sense. If you're a yearly subscriber and you're paying the full freight of 99 bucks a year, you get uh, access to Paramount Plus, uh, which is really cool. And I don't know if you're, uh, you know, big f- uh, Foo Fighters, uh, Dave Grohl, Taylor Hawkins fan. They had the tribute to trailer, uh, Taylor Hawkins on uh, for Life from Wembley on uh on Paramount Plus. So there's a lot of advantages to Paramount Plus. And if you're paying the $99 for the year for dogman.com, uh, after the seven day trial period, you can go ahead and access Paramount Plus, And that's included in your full price subscription. And then as well, you know, if you're a yearly subscriber and you know, you're paying the full freight, not under the promo, if you haven't activated Paramount Plus, you know, your significant other and kids might enjoy that uh, part of the plan that comes with dogman.com. Well, and just remind people too, that may not know Paramount Plus is CBS. Yeah. So it's, you're getting CBS. Yeah. So you're getting a ton of CBS content. You're getting a ton of content on there. So check out Paramount Plus, and that's included when you're paying full freight at dogman.com. And like I always say, tell your wife, you just subscribe to Paramount Plus for her, and dogman.com is included in the price. So you can you always do that. So Boom. Hey, uh, just real quick. Um, I had a chance a couple of times this week to walk through. I always like walking through Heck Ed, and I'll catch up with the basketball guys. Uh, a, couple of, a couple of notes. Uh, Finally had a chance to eyeball Big Frank Kepnong. Uh, he's definitely Big Frank. And then him standing next to uh, Braxton Mia, they got some size. And just one quick story. I don't know if I told you guys this. Uh, Isaiah Thomas uh, had a chance to talk with Zeke a little bit. And, you know, he's just always funny to talk to. And for some reason, he said he came across... Uh, a high school game of his, a DVD of him playing at Federal Way High School. And you know how Isaiah, he looks down and he shakes his head. You've seen that look a hundred times. He goes, it was embarrassing. He says, I just wanted to go for 45, which I did. But he goes, he goes, I didn't play any defense. He goes, I wasn't playing any defense. He goes, it was embarrassing, especially when Coach Bemis, Coach Lindsey Bemis, looked at him and said, can you at least get in a stance? So, you know, it's always fun to talk to Isaiah, and he's ripped. So, um, you know, it's always fun to run into Isaiah. So, hey, anyways, for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grenolds along with Chris Fetters, Scott Eklund. Go dogs. Hello, everyone. 
it's Micah Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.